I'm Dave, and this is Nick with Reservoir Distillery. Pour a dram and settle in, because this is the Cast Chasers podcast. Buckle your seatbelts. Cast chasers, if you've been around for you know any amount of time, you've uh, you've definitely heard me um, talk about this distillery. Huge fan, uh, Reservoir, Reservoir, was a Reza, Reservoir. Um, we'll learn how to pronounce it the appropriate way um, when we get there. It's a Virginia distillery uh, near and dear to my heart. A uh, few of you probably have a Cast Chasers bottle with our little logo uh, laser engraved on it. Um, and it's that high rye you knew, you know we uh, love so, uh, so much. Um, but it's actually really a gorgeous whiskey. And for those that purchased, picked up a bottle, I uh, truly appreciate you. Reservoir loves to do this kind of stuff with uh, different outlets. So uh, cool group. Uh, first time I'm meeting these two, I have the CEO, Dave uh, Coutino, probably pronouncing that wrong. I'm up yep. in the Northeast. We'll figure that out. Absolutely and, wrong. <laughs> Coutino? Coutino? Coutano. Coutino. Coutino. God damn it. You know, this is Italian I'll country. I'll anything. This is Italian country, Dave. <laughs> so when it's spelt like that, everybody's like, a Coutinho. So, you know, that's uh, and Nick, yeah. Nick Vaughn. Am I saying Vaughn right? Vaughn, yeah. yeah okay. The telemarketers would say Vaughn. Vaughn. Well, there is a G in there, and this is. Uh, I have uh, Dave. You're the founder. Coutinho and Vaughn. <laughs> you missed. You missed si, out. See, si, senor. You missed out on the best name. Uh, no one would buy that, to be honest. They wouldn't know what they were buying. They're like, uh, you know, this is a cover for something else. Um, so we have the C. We have the CEO. Maybe it is. Yeah, we have the CEO. And it's delicious whiskey, so whatever you're covering, uh, you know, you got a good backup plan. Uh, and the barrel man himself here. So uh, what the hell's a barrel man? Tell me, is that a cooper? Is that essentially a, a high-end name for a cooper or a, or a blender or a barrel blender? Uh, do I get to answer? Do I get to answer this, or does Nick get to answer? I, I want to hear. Be fun either way. I want to hear. I want to hear both perspectives because I, something tells me they're going to be two different answers. So I've had a uh, interesting myriad of titles here in my time at the distillery. Uh, the first one that I pushed for that I thought was really sweet was professional distiller. Um, and then as, as roles and jobs have changed and shifted here at the distillery, I now work, uh, we have Mary Allison, who is our head distiller and she runs our whole program here at the distillery, um, facility. And then she makes awesome whiskey that she puts in barrels. And we send that over to our other building, which isn't far from the distillery, uh, where I work with a really small team doing all of our barrel blending and, uh, bottling. And so barrel man was another title given to me, uh, as just man who works with barrels. Man of barrels, barrel man. It's 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 like a superhero, and you just don't know whose team they're on. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, my turn now, huh? Okay, great. Um, first and foremost, um, Nick got here because he worked at a um, coffee company near us, and he kept coming over and bothering us you know on, on a daily basis going can i have a job can i have a job, can I have a job? <laughs> and jay would sit outside smoking a cigarette and go 
no. Yeah. <laughs> Until finally one day, I was like, okay. <laughs> and then and then Nick showed up one day. But the neat thing about about Nick and, and where he adds so much value is um, he started in beer. And then he was in coffee. And coffee actually uh, is a really interesting thing because it has a lot more notes, identifiable notes in it than whiskey does. So it takes a very, very incredible palate to work with coffee. And so um, those skills coming here um, are really invaluable. And uh, Nick started back um, on the production floor actually distilling. That's why his title when he first started, I think it was Bourbon Flupper. And um, part-time <laughs> flupper. Yeah, part-time. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and from that... Um, you know, we were laying down whiskey on wood for a very long time. And um, and so as that product start, was aging in the warehouse, and then we started playing around with doing different blends and things like that, um, Nick really, of course, naturally fell in that role because of uh, the palate that he's worked very hard to develop. And um, so we rely heavily on him uh, when it comes to actually creating that final product and having it stay true to what it was that we kind of set out to do, but coming up with new neat and unique things that keeps uh, reservoir fresh. That's a that, that, goddamn. Actually, I think I gave you a lot of compliments. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah, that's about all I get. <laughs> Nick didn't say any of that. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I just picture a very wired coffeeed up Nick, not sleeping every day, coming to the door and asking for a job and people thinking he's not going away. He's just not with all that coffee in his <laughs> system. Uh, no, that's good, man. When in, and happy, uh, you know, circumstances, they, uh, came true because, uh, you know, here we are enjoying your whiskey and I don't know if it'd be the same without you. So, coffee let's chat a little bit about that because nosing and i want to get into blending um but i, I don't want to jump too far because i want to pick on dave a little bit here in a minute um but just give me a little run through on coffee flavors and it's interesting you say that my kid and i he's 17 we were out the other day last night as a matter of fact and he was uh he he, he drinks coffee he drinks it black and we aren't coffee snobs but i like interesting coffees and he was telling me about, you know, nosing and tasting and, you know, different flavors he gets from different coffees or teas and things like that. And for me, coffee is either strong or not strong. You know what I mean? I, I don't pick up notes like mm-hmm. I do in whiskey, like I do in coffee. So they're a little more buried, I guess, to the layman. Um, how does that translate to whiskey? Is there well, some common ground there? There is a lot of common ground The in in coffee, at least in a roasting facility, every single morning they are doing what's called a cupping. So they're taking everything roasted um, between six and eight days prior because they usually roast coffee. You let it off gas for six to eight days, and that's kind of the sweet spot for high-end or craft coffee. And then they're going to do cupping. So they're going to do quality control tastings every morning of you know last week's batches that are about to go in bags. And Um, The cupping is really, it's a really, really strenuous tasting because you get, uh, when you have gone to source to buy coffee, you've had the producer roast the coffee for you and show you their best way of roasting this particular varietal and species of bean. And so, you know, you know, in African coffees, you're always looking for a lot of blueberry and fruit, stone fruits. And so you're trying to find these things 
again. So if you, a company like us, we were lucky to send people to source frequently. So they were roasting coffee with the producer and then bringing it back, hoping we could replicate that in-house. And um, so you're always kind of chasing, chasing notes. And with, you know, with different regions, different grow seasons, your the notes will change. And from season to season, you'll see, you know, apricot was in this coffee last year, but it's not this year and it's never coming back. Hmm. That's interesting. We had a uh, Irish distiller, uh, same thing. You know, he was a coffee producer in Africa and then moved his way up to Irish whiskey. So um, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between coffee, craft beer makes sense, wine makes sense, but coffee, that's interesting. Um, but we'll come back to that because I want to talk about the blending and, and kind of where that leads to and everything. Dave, I got a question for you, buddy. Um, what the hell were you thinking? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you, <laughs> are you, are you nuts? I, I, are you, uh... you know, <laughs> I, I tell you what I was thinking was I desperately wanted to get out of New York city at that time. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are with like the, like how reservoir came to be. Right. Um, because there, there's the, the short format and the long format and, um, and really what it was, was in some respects, a comedy of errors that kind of led us on this road because there's some things and everybody will tell you this, that it's like, oh, if I really fully understood what I was getting into, I would have thought twice about it when I started. Um, but uh, when I first started looking at this, um, the Mount Vernon distillery, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, Virginia Tech. Uh, had discovered where was doing some work up at Mount Vernon. They found the original site for where um, the distillery, the mill at Mount Vernon Distillery, were located. And so they were digging up this ground, and they were, you know, talking about, oh, this is what they're going to do with it. They've got these antique stills. They're going to put back in. They're going to rebuild it to specs, and they're going to uh, run some whiskey and and all this. And um, you know, uh, and that was that was all really neat and interesting. But probably the most interesting aspect of it for me was when they were they had the Chinese um, trade delegation there for the kickoff of the original whiskey trail. And, um, and it begins at Mount Vernon. And uh, they said if the Chinese industry ever came online, it would deplete U.S. bourbon reserves in about two, three years. And I was like, ooh, well, that's an interesting business, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, I was working on Wall Street up at that time. And um, and I kind of I wrote a buddy of mine who did um, uh, historic restoration uh, building stuff down here in Richmond, you know, and having grown up in Virginia, um, you know, you're kind of around uh, this bourbon country historically and you're around all this stuff and obviously the moonshine and whatnot. And my brother and I had the Foxfire books. If you want to see how to build a still truly historically Appalachian style, it's uh, get it out of the Foxfire book. So we had those as kids. And so I wrote my buddy a note and said, hey, you know, why don't we put let's let's make one of these in our backyard? You know, we'll we'll pull the designs out of the book and do this. It looks like a pretty interesting uh, thing to try. And he was like, you know, there's one for sale up the road uh, in Culpeper. And this is where we made our first mistake, because he went out and talked to these guys, found out what it cost, um, told me and I plugged that in the spreadsheet, thinking that that was the cost of the entire distillery and all the equipment it was for just like one small piece but i was like this is amazing and that kind of started me down the road (laughs) of doing stuff so it's one 
incorrect entry in a spreadsheet like created this domino effect that ended up to where we are now. Because it was right after that that I wrote a letter to Tuttletown and said, hey, guys, can I come and work for free? And, you know, at that time, they were the second guys outside of Kentucky making bourbon and selling it under their brand uh, in the country. And uh, nobody was doing this stuff. And, and they basically were like, you want to work for free? Come on up. Let's meet. And I went up there and I met with them. And they were like, yeah, fine. You're, you're a normal person. Like, cool. So I went up there and I commuted up there uh, for a long time from New York City. It's about an hour and a half drive. And just learned the functional reality of operating this distillery with those guys. And then they helped me get set up down in Virginia. It was It was an absolutely awesome, beautiful time be doing this stuff because uh, just having somebody else start up raise awareness that you didn't have to go to Tennessee or Kentucky to get your bourbon. Um, And now, you know, you can look at where we are now, 15 years later, like like literally pretty much every state has a a bourbon manufacturer. in it. It's pretty crazy. And historically, stop me if I'm wrong. I mean, Maryland, Virginia, that's kind of your intro into American whiskey anyway, North Carolina. So, um, early. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. There's, um, you, do, do you know the story about George Thorpe? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and that's what that's 1620. Is that when that was? So that's um, George Thorpe, where he was operating, is about four, 45 minutes from here, just pretty yeah. close, just right down the James River from where we are. So first bourbon shade, boom, right down the road. Yeah, pretty yeah. exciting stuff. Yeah, so we do a lot of, uh, from Williamsburg all the way down the trail there, we do a lot of stuff. But um, I learned through I learned that from, um, we have a PA historian whiskey writer. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's a pretty big name. I should probably know that. I'll edit it in later. But he wrote about that, um, kind of the <laughs> beginning stages. And, uh, and uh, God, what the hell is his name? I, uh, I know who you're talking about. I, I, I think I was the one that told him about it. And yeah. put him in touch with Berkeley Plantation yeah. to go and talk because Michael Shelley Veach. was talking to him about about rye Is, and uh and he did a whole thing about rye and I had a chat with him and I was like, yes. Oh yeah, well you know about Berkeley, right? He's a huge historian, but uh with the whiskey with whiskey, but he's he's really big on you know, your Virginia distillers back in the day before they were called moonshiners and had a show on Discovery Channel. Um, but they were doing you know, the real stuff back then, which was really, really cool. That's why I kind of dig it so much. I feel like your bourbon makers, your 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 Kentucky, I should say, your Kentucky distillers are kind of doing it, you know, getting the building, putting the building up, making the whiskey, putting it in a bottle, getting it on the shelves, and they're kind of going from there. There's more of this grassroots feel on the East Coast, which I really dig. You know, our friends at Old Line in Baltimore, you know, Catoctin, you guys, there's a different mm-hmm. there's a different vibe mm-hmm. to it. There's more of a more of what I would imagine, maybe a little more shiny now, but what I would have imagined it would have been like back then, although but legal, you know what I mean, and not blinding. Uh, meaning the whiskey blinding you. Um, it just has, there's more of a craft yeah. expert. You know what, does that make sense what I'm trying to say? It's not small, it's big, but it, there's more of that no, no. artisan kind of it, thing. Yeah, so so back before, you know, Prohibition, there were, I want to say, you'll have to ask your historian guy, um, I think about 5,000 distilleries in the country. And we're still right now, even with the boom we've had, 
we're sitting on, I think, about 2,800 distilleries, yeah, something like that. So we're still even below where we were 100 years ago. And, um, and back then, just because of the nature of, you know, shipping and whatnot, you had a lot more um, rectifiers who were who people back then buying other people's stuff and then bottling it locally um, or um, and then just local shops that were were making whiskey because it was just, you know, a lot cheaper to do it around the source of where the grain was than to ship everything to where it needed to be. Water. Um, yeah. I mean, I know just. Yeah. And so um, and so you just naturally had a smaller business set because it was very local and they weren't distributing everywhere. Um, and, and it, and I would say that, you know, for guys like us, um, you know, Catoctin, uh, you know, we started at a time before craft was a term. I think we were still calling ourselves micro distilleries back then. Mm. And, um, you know, the, back then when we started, we started doing this because we wanted to do it. Um, because we love whiskey and we weren't marketing companies. Um, we were doing it because we we're like, hey, like, let's make this locally. I hope people like it and we'll sell it. We didn't have any grand designs of like, oh, I'm going to sell internationally or, oh, this is my retirement trade. And I'm going to I'm going to do this and build it up. I'm going to sell it in five years. Um, if that was the case, I would have sold this thing 10 years ago. But, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's it's <laughs> it, it's. It's a, it was a very different mentality back then. And some of our peers that we started with have sold or moved on or, or, or gone on to do something else. I mean, obviously, Tunneltown, where I learned to distill, um, I saw Ralph Arenzo out in Portland at ACSA for their 10-year anniversary. And he came out. But he's been out of distilling for more than five years yeah. now after they sold to William Grant. So, um, but I think that the people that were starting back then, just the nature of like why we did this. We weren't trying to do like you're saying, like, okay, let's build a $50 million distillery. Yes. Let's up production. We're going to get it to a certain size. It's all about how many units do you move and then sell it and then off and you're gone. Um, you get, you look at, uh, this is a great segue back into like some of the stuff that Nick does. Like we have our core products that we make. We make 100% corn, 100% wheat, and 100% rye. That's what we make. But then we have this huge suite of, kind of cool products that we play with be it either um different ages or different blends or different finishes or different collaboration that create an array of stuff that's just really really fun with quality being the ultimate goal and you know our, if our whole thing was like let's grow this as fast as we can and then dump it on the market i mean you, you wouldn't have the ability to do a lot of that stuff and um, and it's what really makes it fun for us, and that's why Nick has probably the best job here. I would say. Well, you you yeah. you sound <laughs> you, you sound fun. You sound alive. You got a great personality. I've heard great things about you. I, I just want to. I just want the audience, the listeners, to fully understand the scope of of who you are as a human being, and uh, the miracle that it is to be Dave. Four years after the boom of American whiskey. A man from Wall Street decides to jump into an industry that's that's really unknown, not in Kentucky, in 2008, which I don't know if you know what happened in 2008, listeners, but, you know, the world went upside down for a little while. 
so Dave decides I'm going to do all this at the most chaotic time possible shortly after this. You are a gambler, my friend. And uh, I just, I, that's what's so impressive. Um, so kudos to you. Yeah. Pour a drink on that one. Um, so it's just an interesting time to jump in. It's an interesting time, you know, the boom of whiskey, American whiskey, early 2000s, you could say, um, when consumers started to kind of see it through a lens of, you know, more than just what my granddad drank or what my dad drank. Um, so it was, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a crazy time to kind of get into it. And then in Virginia, which historically is whiskey country, but the human population didn't understand that until more recently um, because they just thought everything came from Kentucky. Um, so thankfully yeah. to people like you, we have whiskey elsewhere. Um, so that's my spiel on the psychosis that is, that's my, um, if I was your therapist, that's how, that's where we would start. I wouldn't even start at childhood. I would start in that that little area right there because that's when it all went downhill. Um, no, it's great stuff. <laughs> so t- talk to me. I want to get into the blending art because that's gorgeous. I, I am a, a, um, a receiver of the of one of your blends. Um, I put too much wax at the top. We'll also get in that too. I waxed the fuck out of this thing. It's You can't even get into this bottle. That's my fault. Um, we, we asked for double wax. Yeah, it's like a black and a maroon wax and they mm-hmm. sealed the, the tone yeah you you that is king well, tut's, that's to keep the kids out right king cut king tut's tomb was wrapped like this i think it was just impossible mm-hmm. to penetrate um but i love the uh, i love the the single grain bottles the bottlings two reasons i think it's really cool to experience grains as they sit you know what I mean? And I also think it's neat if you go out and buy all three, you know, all the grains, you can kind of do your own little play and blend at home, and which I think is kind of neat. Talk to me about the idea of going into, let's do a corn, let's do a wheat, let's do a, you know, let's do a rye just by itself. Because you don't see that a lot. You know what I mean? You really, you really, you see high, high rye, high corn, whatever, high wheat. You don't see a lot of people, and they're out there, you don't see a lot of people doing that, especially with, uh, with rye, because it, fucks your machines up but um yeah talk, yeah you know what i mean tell me about the decision to kind of so, go that route so you know um so when i was working at Tuttletown, uh and obviously you know when you're you're like a volunteer free work what they do is they throw you in the oh and then you work for free I, I don't want to forget yeah, about, yeah. And, yeah. And so, <laughs> so they're like nuts. here do this stuff and you're like ah and you know um for those of you that think that distilling is like this old guy on the Scottish Highlands sipping a whiskey in this bucolic country with a castle behind it, it's not like that. It is working on a farm. Um, and so I was back there weighing out, you know, a thousand pound uh, mash bill, you know, of like, oh, I need this much corn. I need this much wheat, I need this much rye, and then milling it, put it in. And that's a hassle when you're doing it by hand. And, um, and so, you know, when you think about scotch and scotch is a single grain. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was uh working with the bill and we were putting in a small amount of malted barley and uh, and they were using enzymes, like everybody uses enzymes, uh, in order to get enough sugar extraction to make it work. And so um I was asking the question of these guys, I was like, well, you know, if we're using enzymes, why do we need malted barley? Because it's the most expensive input. Uh in that particular mash bill. And, um, and they said, well, you know, the malting, yeah, the enzy- enzymatic action of it doesn't really matter because we're using enzymes, 
So it's really, it's maybe it's kind of a, a, just a flavor thing. And I was like, well, and that's where I had this light bulb go off. It's like, well, if we are using enzymes, why not just do single grains? Scotch do it. Why don't we just try it and, um, and just see what happens? Because it's a hell of a lot easier to measure out 800 pounds of corn than 600 pounds of corn, you know, 150 pounds of uh, rye and then 50 pounds of barley, right? So we're like, okay, so we started off doing that. And the, and the funny thing is, is that um, no one was doing it that way because, you know, there's like a way that Kentucky's been doing it forever. And it's just like, ah, oh, that's, that's the right way to do it. Um, we actually hid the fact that we were doing single grains because in 2010, when we sold our first bottle, people just weren't ready for it. It was almost literally too revolutionary. <laughs> I showed some bottles to a guy in Kentucky and he tasted the, the corn bourbon. I was like, nah, something's wrong with this. And I finally clued in. I was like, are you looking for rye and barley? He's like, yeah, you're totally missing those notes. I don't know what you did to screw this up. And it's like, well, it's hundred percent corn. And he's like, oh, well then it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like, ah. I digress. Um, but, <laughs> but once we, um, once we kind of figured out or, or the market developed to where people were like, Oh, we, we could, like, we're actually a little accepting of this and we can kind of, I'd like to say, thank the beer guys. The kind of when beer started up people's general acceptance of trying new and different things got better. And so, um, you know, that's when we really kind of started being like, yeah, we're doing, we're actually making single grains. And then people were like, Oh, that's kind of neat. And then we, in that like oh you can blend these things and um that's when the creativity really really exploded around here no i love and it i think a bartender in, in yeah no i, I showed me that I, I absolutely love it i love the uh i love how you can play with the grain different grains experience different experiences and different cocktails it, it's it's amazing but then the let's go to the blend side of things i try i try to infinity bottle once back one time I tried that and it was kind of hot there for a little while. Everybody was making an infinity bottle. Blending is a, is truly an art. It's uh it's it, Dave's not in his head. Like, yeah, stop doing it at home. Let us do it for you. It's nice to play, but <laughs> <laughs> dude, it is. Well, let's talk about our bottle a little bit. For example, you know, we were mixing and tasting and at the time I wasn't a huge rye fan. There was something about rye that the licorice, the, different the spice to it i just it wasn't my thing i was really coming off of scotch i was a big scotch guy um so the grain rye didn't really do well for me as we're blending this thing we're, we're taking different i hate i hate keep using the word blending because i'm not i wasn't true i was mixing i was mixing i was just dumping into different cups and uh as me and my team and i were tasting we finally got down and we had somebody taking notes and we finally got down to this 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 blend quote blend and I was like, this is it. And we all tasted it. And I was like, oh my God, this thing's delicious. It's got a it's got a heat to it. It's got a little there is some spice. It it's baking spice. It's but it's in a good way. It's all of the things. And then whoever was dictating the 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 mixture was like, Well, it's mostly rye. And I'm like, Yeah, but there's a ton of corn in here. And she was like, No, there's like five percent corn. But that corn, we took it out. Yeah, right. We took the corn out, just that little amount, and it drastically changed it. It needed that small little splash of it, so there is the. I think it's m- milliscule movements on this little needle to blend, and that's why 
the blenders of the world, God bless our distillers, but the blenders of the world to me are doing something that's just ma- madness. It's 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 truly science. Talk to me, Dave, about your world and putting these liquids together and and you know trying to create a product without burning yourself out. You know what I mean? How do you not get lost in this? And and you know an eyedropper of this changes the entire fucking barrel flavor. You know what I mean? It's just how does that not drive you mentally insane? Well, when when you've done it for a long time, you kind of start to figure out a little bit of kind of the, you know, what was the the description you had earlier? Dragons live here kind of thing, or, you know, don't go over this way because, you know, that's a bad idea. Um, When you you get down to it, like when we're blending, right, um, you've got the single grains. You go, okay, great, fine. And... um, but then you start playing with, well, what size barrel or what kind of barrel and how long has it been in the barrel? So you have all those variables, right? And then you've got um, what proof is it at, right? And all these things factor into changing the flavor. And then you get into like, okay, well, how do I mix the different grain types? And when you look at just mixing the grain types, we had a, a friend of ours um uh, you may know of him, uh, Bourbon Patty, uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram. He, um, uh, Martinez, great guy. He had a buddy of his who was a mathematician calculate out the number of different combinations if you just did 1% increments. And there were 23 cons in that number. So literally, it's for us, it's like playing chess. We could make something new every single day. Um, but what Nick does that I think is actually uh, really neat and what keeps it fresh for us uh, so that we don't get tired of it is we have all these factors of like, okay, where in the Rick house is it sitting? What, what size barrel is it? Cause we have multiple sizes mm, of barrels. Mm-hmm. What kind of char is it? Um, and you guys have talked to Shelly before. So Shelly, Nick run all sorts of experiments in the warehouse where it's like, okay, let's do these barrels and toast, different toasts. Let's do these staves at different ages and then let's do extra chars on top. We'll put the same thing into all of them, and then we'll all age them the same way. And then we can kind of dial in as to, all right, well, you know, which one actually produces the right, not necessarily the best, but produces X notes at X amount of time. And then mm-hmm. from there, you kind of can go like, oh, well, instead of like just randomly throwing stuff together, you can kind of go, well, what profile do I want to put together? And then, you you know, Nick knows where to go and find these different things and then put them together and come up. And that's kind of like that's a starting point that you can then move around uh, because obviously everybody's palettes are different. Right. And so, um, you know, the thing that Nick is really able to do and, and I'm speaking a little bit for Nick and I'm sure he'll comment on this, but um, having the situational awareness of his own palette relative to other people's palates as a completely new dimension to when it comes to actually blending. So um, this is a long way of saying that, you know, there's a lot of levers that we can pull and we can play with. Uh, And that certainly keeps it interesting so that we're not bored all the time because we're definitely not making the same exact thing. Uh, we, We produce the same thing, but we can have a final product that's completely different at any given day. And that keeps it very interesting for us. So he has at his fingertips um, a lot of material and he's got a ton of skill 
in order to actually use that material to create something new. When, when Nick, when you were explained to me by your peers and when I did my research, the first thing that came to my head was a, I thought, okay, this guy's a barrel bloodhound. I just pictured you, you know, I just pictured you in the warehouse, like literally you walk in, you, you put your coffee down and then you just, you freeze and they're like, he's got something. And you just start plowing through the warehouse <laughs> and you find that barrel and you put your hand on it and you're like, this one's ready. And you just kind of, that's the magic. I, I, that's the magic I pretend I, so Nick, tell me how, it's, it's, is that, am he, he I, lis- he listens to it too. Do you, do you, <laughs> Does it talk to you? So one of one of my favorite things to do in coffee that I always thought was funny because across beer and coffee and whiskey, you know, we we always try not to be we don't want to become the guys that are pretentious and we don't want to become the guys that are arrogant for no reason, maybe arrogant for show, uh, but certainly not arrogant for no reason. And so in coffee, a thing I used to like to do is we'd roast the coffee and all of my coffee team in there, they were way more experienced than me. And so they'd be nosing this coffee in really unique ways. And I'd drop beans on the counter and listen to them <laughs> like this, as if that, like the way it bounced had something to do with, with it. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it, I, I don't know about bloodhound, but as long as our, you know, we've been in a new, for a long time, we had barrels stored at the distillery and we had barrels stored really close by. And, um, that was unique because we had barrels that were kind of sitting right next to our production floor. And we always thought that was cool because maybe they're getting like a little more seasonal effect because in the summer when Mary's running everything, like it gets really hot in there and then it drastically cools overnight more so than if it was just sitting in a Rick house. Um, and we had a building down the street that had a little bit of a different effect. And so a lot of times blends would be, the combination of barrels that had been at both locations, one location, never at both, et cetera. But now we have a, you know, one facility where all the inventory has been at this facility. Everything now has been at the facility pretty much its entire life, save for some really rare stuff. And what's funny is when I take people to the Rick house, we pull up and they get out of their car and they go, Oh my God, that smells amazing. They can smell the building from outside. Mm. I can't smell, I can't smell that. I just go, yeah, that, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we do, you know, we, we, we have like a, there is some order to the chaos. So we keep, you know, we have grain types together, barrel sizes together and uh, barrel and then by age. And then we have a couple of aisles with some weird stuff. And just as you go, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal cues for what is maybe good because, you know, in the bourbon aisle, there might be a random five gallon, barrel of rye sitting on a bunch of 10 gallon barrels of bourbon and you're like well something why that's not where it belongs so there's a reason it's there Mm. and then you can go and you taste the barrel of rye you go oh wow that's good and you go but why is it sitting on these 10 gallon barrels of corn and then you know you pull pull a thief of the corn and the rye and you start tweaking those together and you go okay something was going on here that we liked and we you know you kind of you chased it and as, as much as you want to chase the dragon you sometimes have to like you know, let it fly away because, you know, it has to be some mystery, has to be some fun left in the Rick house or what are we doing this for? Um, but I wouldn't say like a bloodhound. We, I'm really lucky. We've got a, a bottling team in there that uh, works with the barrels and they, I think, I think their job is cooler because they are, you know, hands on every single shift and every single day. And they're always, they still always have like the glimmer in their eyes of look how cool this is. Uh <laughs> That it's one thing that we've always um, 
uh, done here, and I think it's really important, is um, we encourage everyone to taste as much as possible um, and uh, and run through um, different things as, as often as they can. Uh, obviously, we're, we don't want anybody like getting hammered at work and then driving home. But, um, you know, we really want people to uh, get in there and work on their sensory work. Like Shelly, uh, you know, obviously uh, does a lot of work where everybody has the same underlying principles as to how they nose and taste. But we, we make sure that everybody is kind of working on that. So Nick gets a little bit of help from his team just in the sense of, that barrel didn't just randomly show up there. Those guys are in there playing with stuff all the time. And if they find something interesting, then they leave it out and then it gets into it. And then if it passes sniff test for him, then it shows up on my desk. And that's not to say I still don't have my secret stash. He does. I assume. We'll never get bottled because it's like tucked away. And and if you can find those barrels when they're hidden amongst the several thousand that are sitting back there, oh, you're in for a good night. It's a little fun. <laughs> You know how lucky I am. Oh, you are so lucky. I know. Being married to you, that's number one, right? That's no joke, babe. It's no joke. And and I'm going to tell you why. Aside from being married to you, my two favorite independent bottlers mm-hmm. happen to be in the Imprex portfolio. What luck. I know. We've got Adelphi Selections. Yeah. Bottlers started in 1993, I want to say. Okay. And Single Malts of Scotland. Yeah. Who those casts are selected by my good friend, Ollie Chilton. I know Ollie. You know Ollie. Yeah. Yeah, he came to drink with us. Uh-huh. So back to the idea of drinking off the beaten path. Oh, this again. If you are looking for a wide array of flavors, going after independently bottled whiskey is where it's at. Because their idea is never to repeat a flavor. Never? Never to repeat a flavor. Well. Always bottle something new, always something different, and more importantly always something delicious mm-hmm. and something that won't steal all of your wallet. Okay. That's kind I of like important. that part. You like that. I knew you'd yeah. like that part. So listen, Haida, I have to tell you and I have to tell our listeners here, Impex Beverages. Yes. Proud sponsor of Cast Chasers Podcast. Excellent. So two things I'm gathering. First, and, and this is, I'm talking to the listeners. If you're with me, listeners, every time somebody's humble and says they're not, but their team is, they're normally the better, the best person you're going to go to. So um, that's what I'm gathering from these two humble people, which is why I don't make whiskey because I am not humble um, to, a, to a fault, actually, because I really don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but. In my field, gentlemen, in what I do, the media side, kind of my, my job is to do the best I can to put your name out there to as many listeners as I can. Um, but because of what I do, I've gotten the opportunity to go into distilleries and blend and play around with barrels. I was in a distillery maybe a year, year and a half ago, and we were kind of messing around with a cast chasers blend to some project we were working on. And I found this one barrel. It was like A-2004 or something like that. And I found this one barrel. It was kind of young, but it was fucking delicious. It was something about it was super cool. And I, I kept saying, well, let me put some of this into the blend. Let me, And it never worked. And everybody was just, I was so pissed off that nobody could see what I could see. And even the distiller I was working with, he's like, yeah, there's not enough to it. It's just kind of young, maybe in time. 
and we left and I as I was leaving it was like I felt like I was leaving like a um like an animal shelter and this dog was like with its eyes looking at me and I was like you're not <laughs> so you're, so you're not taking me home I'm like buddy I'd love to but mom said no <laughs> you know what I mean do you ever fall in love with like a a blend or a barrel or you, a, you know what you were exper- you know what yeah Let, let, let me let me let me talk about that just very briefly in the terms of it's it's a lot less sexy and romantic, but in the business in terms of it, mm. um, a lot of times, like if you look at, for example, like the things that Nick and I have been drinking as we're chatting, because you know, drinking my whiskey, we, I want to drink whiskey. Sure, um, these are all neat things. Like this is a 2017 bottling that we did for that boutique whiskey company out of the United Kingdom. It was a really, really cool thing. Uh, it's an 80-10-10 lend. One kind there. Trying that. This is a um, 2020 um, bottled and bond wheat whiskey. Right? Fine. Um, this is a Grey Ghost. Which is, if you know Reservoir, these are like our kind of super yeah. weirdo, like super aging, something cool kind of rye whiskey. Doing that, and then we've also got this kind of crazy one, which we'll talk about the maybe at the end of the thing. You can see the the eleven seventy symbol on there. That yeah. is a hazmat uh, rye whiskey that we are going to uh, put out. And so you know, those are all like kind of like you're the leaving the SPCA and the puppies looking at and you're like, oh my God, that's great. These are things that we've done that we're like, yeah, we like that. But we also are a commercial distillery. We have to sell things mm. in order to have the privilege of making some of these other things. And um, everybody's palate is different. And so we have to build some things that really like, say, fit a wide audience. It will appeal to everybody. It should not offend anyone. Then you have some things that are like, it's like a, 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 a different palette, just like you don't like rye, right? Necessarily, you know, like if all we made was rye, we wouldn't be. Maybe I, I like to say, I like so to you, say, you are building. I'm rye curious. Yes. <laughs> that, I get what you just did there. <laughs> well, you know, the, the puppy analogy also goes the other way. And what's nice about our team is, um, we have a really mixed bag of palettes and a lot of times we, you know, get, we're all online and a lot of times we'll be like all together for months and months on end. And then seasonally, like our palettes will change and what's, what's great. Mm -hmm. And what's funny about it sometimes is I'll go to the, I'll go to the kennel, you know, I'll be at the Rick house and I'll find this awesome puppy and I'll bring the puppy home and show everybody. And they're like, Oh, bless your heart. We can't keep him. <laughs> that one bites too much. That one's something in my legs. <laughs> and and, no. and it, it's funny and and it's nice to see like even being in this position and you know being being entrusted as I am, it's it's you know, to pick things and pick the right things. We still, you know, for a lot of things we ha- you know, everyone has to touch it before it's going in the bottle. And that's, you know, a lot of times I'll come around and I'm trying to lobby for what I think's good and people are like, Come on, guy, what what the heck? But Nick, for yeah, you we do have a for you it's a little worse though, because if we're gonna continue with the puppy analogy, this'll lose some listeners probably. Not only me, I just can't take it home. They make you put it down. They're they, they yes. yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I mean? so it's it's a little yeah. and, darker. And there's a lot there and, and the, you know, it's dark. There is a pile of puppies, you know, near the Rick house and <laughs> 
I, I don't think I've ever yeah, had I haven't had an email from PETA yet, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Uh, no, Reservoir is not killing puppies um, unless they're not good, unless they don't fit the brand. Then, yeah, they are. They have to. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you guys have some very interesting um, some whiskeys. I mean, I like the classic stuff. There is the um, I, I'm going to brutalize the Holland's Ghost is is excellent. I was given that as a gift, which is great. The Mason Day finish it for me. The Maison de Cuivre, that which is probably no, no, it's Maison de Cuivre. Maison, Maison de, de Cuivre, which is probably it's probably French and means the Copper House. <laughs> We're not sure if it's Canadian or or, or continent. But, sure, you know. sure. It's, <laughs> Oh, that's that's good. Nobody can say it anyway. I just know the could, bottle. Could be, could be Cajun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we call it MDC. That that um that bottle is really special because for two reasons: a, it's delicious, but two, it's one of those whiskeys that I think I said a and then two, whatever. Um, it's one of those whiskeys you can give to a friend, and they it's if they don't know whiskey, they look at it. And they go, dang, Bobby really cares about me. It just because there's French in there, and there's just, you know what I mean. And my whiskey friend, you know, the, the, the label called, yeah. the label called, that was all by design. And that was, you know, we're we're still small in a lot of ways. And that was, you know, I think that was something that was the back of an envelope, like us. Like I'm not a designer, but I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if it looked kind of like a wine label, and you know, like the corn turns into grapes. And, it it yeah. makes me want some, and I'm going to go find. Some. It makes me want some. <laughs> and so, and, and that's one of the other parts of this job that's fun is you get to try and do, you know, we get to try and do our own branding for some of these things that we love so much. And then a lot of times we're humbled when we realize, oh, no, we're not designers. We're, you know, we're whiskey guys. Yeah. No, but the bottles are dope. I mean, I love the bottles. I I, I love the, the Holland's Ghost bottle. I think that's really cool. They're, they stand out. The shape of the bottle is a little mm-hmm. bit different. It's that taller bottle and everything. But, yeah, to, mm-hmm. the whiskey inside is absolute, absolutely incredible. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the fun blends. Yeah, there it is. I don't have a bot. I do not have a bottle of that. It's hard to find where I am. Um, you know what? I got a great idea. You should come down here. So already planned it once, once <laughs> I don't cove it up. Uh, no, we are coming down. You're not far from me. That's what's stupid about it. It's, uh, you know, we're doing this via zoom. Yeah, where are you, are you, you guys are Harvard de Grasse, right? We're, uh, we, yeah, Maryland. So we're probably, what are we? Five hours? Three and a half. No. Dana looked at me and said three and a half. I don't know where the maps are. How I don't. Need, I just found out Delaware is next to us. So whatever. You know what I mean? It's apparently a state. It's not just a highway to get to Jersey. Um, but yeah, yeah, three hours, <laughs> three hours away from us. Um, no, but so yeah, we're definitely going to come down. We're definitely going to drink, uh, drink, drink your whiskey and talk it, and we'll do this again. But um, um, I, 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 no, I next time what we could do, we should do a live sampling of the barrels and make it like an extended show oh until yeah you fall down i'll bring the camera guy i'll bring uh i'll bring a- axel he loves uh he loves getting mm-hmm. me on video doing stupid shit i yeah and then we get and then we can have shelly make sure that nobody gets arrested and then it'll be like a great great night and i want her whatever because if i get drunk enough it's book worthy so we'll have her write it um it'll be a true crime or a comedy <laughs> 
it'll be one of the two. Um, I'll I'll try to lean more a very towards, dark comedy. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little little true crime. Um, he definitely did it. He he definitely did it. He was here. Um, I I want to have such I, I a. I envision something like a Southern Fargo. Yeah. My, my dream in life, guys, is to have, and I haven't done this yet, I've been to a lot of distilleries, my dream is to, I'm cautious because I, I love you guys, I love what you do, the distillery people, the, the artists out there, but I want to come to distillery and have so much fun, I'm not welcome back. You know what I mean? That's that's what I'm looking for. And I'm not saying I'm going to do it there. That's just, I need to be, I want to be banned for life. You would not be the first. <laughs> <laughs> My wife shaking her head like that. Not somewhere so close. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll find something. I'll find some distillery that won't even remember me. So uh, somewhere in Idaho or something. Actually, uh, what would be really fun is you come here and then we leave from here and go to another distillery mm. and we get kicked out together. If if me and the Reservoir team could get kicked out of somebody else's distillery forever for life, that's a dream. That put that in the... Yeah. I put a pin in that one and call yeah. it a day. Um, and yeah. I, that's <laughs> I got some ideas. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> um, Nick, I got a question for you. And if you want to talk about it on air, you don't have to. Um, in your show, in your notes, you wrote. I, I got. I don't know if you wrote it, but somebody wrote it. Uh, Nick got your Vaughn got the whole breakdown. Blah blah blah. It was really interesting. I went through mine. I rarely go through notes. I don't care. I'm just like I'll just meet these guys and fall in love. I don't give a shit what they're. So my my team says like you got to read the notes. You got to get to know them. But so very rarely do I care. Do I stick to the notes? Do I stick to anything? I just want to go. Um, but there was a little there's a little blip in there that really that really got my attention. Um, it's like barrel man, barrel blending, 20 years, craft beer, coffee, whiskey. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Bringing down a retail giant. And I paused right there and I said, okay, okay. He's got my attention. What, what can, can we, can we even, I mean, I don't know if your lawyers are present, but can we talk about this? I, I spoke with him this morning, but not about that. Um, so it, uh, when I was, I think when I was 20, 22 to 25, maybe I'd been working for, um, I'd been working for, I worked when I was like a teenager, I worked at Best Buy. First job, whatever is great. I, you know, a million tons of discount on all sorts of stupid stuff I never needed. Yeah. Uh, moved out of the house, um, was working in this beer warehouse when I was 18, turned 21, got a different job at the beer warehouse because I could actually sell the liquor, not just move the packages. Um, I think for about three or four years, I had a buddy, I uh, had a manager that I worked with at the Best Buy, and she got a really sweet gig at Circuit City, who is headquartered here. Uh, and she hired me and like three of my best friends. And like we had jobs that no early 20 year olds should have had any business having in their in the corporate offices. Uh, like, I, you know, I went from being just some ratty kid in a, a you know, dingy apartment here to like, I'm wearing a suit every single day to work yeah. and like people calling me Mr. Vaughn. Uh, and I was, I was a project manager, um, Mr. Vaughn. I was a project manager, um, in, in one of the call centers and was in, it was when, you know, circuit city was having all that stuff happen. And, um, uh, I was not assigned a single project for a year and a half. And so I would go to work, me and my buddies would go to work and it's like, I found the end of the internet. You know, I looked at everything that you could look at and like, 
And I feel so bad because I'm walking past all these people who are grinding all day, every day. They're in the call center on the phone, strangers just chewing them out all day long. And I'm like, how early is too early to leave? I mean, and I just got here. <laughs> it's, like, it's like office space. And so I, I always like to think I, you know, knowing that me and a handful of my buddies were all in roles like that and like popping up over the cubicle, like, can we go? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, just knowing what they were paying us at the time is like, surely feel like we contributed to the downfall. But, you know, sure enough, that company promised me six months of severage and considered me an essential employee. So I was there until the last day they locked the door and every check cashed. So if if you work there and then Radio Shack and then you came to the reservoir door, I probably wouldn't have hired you. I'm like, this guy's a business killer. <laughs> <laughs> He's an <Yeah>. assassin. Yeah. <laughs> He's an yeah. assassin. Yeah, I, I hear, I hear GameStop game is a hiring. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny. Jay had a strong uh, armor for a long time. I remember um, I was trying to, the coffee shop across the street, I had a, I had like a small logistics problem. Like I had, I had pallets I didn't know where to get rid of. And I was like, hey, you know, what do you do with your pallets? And he was like, we don't have a problem with pallets. I was like, okay. And then, <laughs> That's such a J answer. And then he, hey, what do you do with pallets? We don't have a problem with pallets. And he, and then he said something to me. I could, He just didn't want to talk to me. But he, he, he's smoking a cigarette. And he goes, uh, yeah, I'm pretty busy right now. So I can't just sit here and talk to you all day. <laughs> Is this Jay? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> he was my first. Um, <laughs> Luckily, and I love Jay. Don't get me wrong; uh, I like him a lot. But he uh, was, that's, that, that was the start of our yeah, friendship. Yeah, he was my intro into your company, and your whiskey speaks for itself. That there's no truer statement because when I met Jay, I thought, "Is he going to punch me or serve me a drink?" Because I don't know either could happen. <laughs> I, I he he was he was at an event in Havana Grace, and we were doing a uh, reservoir tasting and I think a dinner pairing. And I met him and he was like, where's the bar? And I was like, you're the guy, you know where the, you, <laughs> why am I telling you where the bar is? And also, haven't you already been there like twice or three times? Um, but uh, he was, uh, he, he's a character, do I love him? He's, he's a character, but yeah, no, I, I can picture that. Um, anyway, I got, I got a lot of Jay stories. We'll share those for uh, off the air. I'm sure. I'm you really did. busy right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're blending our whiskey. I'm like Jay. I'm trying to be all. I'm like being all pat. Like I'm really getting notes of vanilla. He's like, it's it's fucking rye. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, shut up. Just blend your stupid whiskey and get out of here. <laughs> and there's a lot. You know, there's. A, I probably have more of an approach like him to the blending. You know, we can. Because we have such a thorough background that is data driven and like data collection driven. So tracking down these bills that we've used, doing, you know, using the, the meter pipetter. So, you know, how many milliliters you're blending of corn into the wheat to go to a mash bill. Usually when I start doing blending sessions with people, I, I have a range where I start. And, you know, in the 23 commas of possible blends i would say 20 percent of those are good you know not all mm. of them are good um and you know to the example of of y'all's mash bill where you you know you took the corn out and it was a completely different thing mm. the threshold is you probably could have taken the corn down to two percent or up to eight percent and still had something you really liked it's just the total absence of it you know yeah. makes it like provides the effect that you didn't like and a lot of times I'll do the tastings like that. And 
you know, when we do tastings, depending on who I'm doing them for, you'll have the effect of you have a, you know, people come in in earnest and they really, really want to be, they really want to be the ones to pick specifically down to the milliliter and percent of the blend. But then after an hour of doing a tasting and an hour of telling fun stories and now everyone's best friends, you know, you'll have whoever's running the groups like, what's, what's one did we like? Yeah. You know, you, there's no way like, if you're I an hour, a lot of good I, I have learned enough to know that yeah. if you're an hour into blending, you're, you've been done for a while. You, you've, you got to move on. Yeah. yeah. And then I, we were blending. And usually I'll just track. We're, and usually I'll just track like what I think, you know, what I think based on reaction was the best one from 30 minutes earlier. And that's kind of the match bill I'll help push and sell. them. I yeah, like, and, and, it, and it is a matter of like, you have to, when you start doing this, you like what we do for internally for ourselves is far more rigorous from the standpoint of like probably the deepest we'll get is like, Oh, a matrix of glasses that maybe is like different proofs and then um, different times exposed to the air and you go through and you pick and then you go up, down and cross. And that takes time, but you kind of run out of palette range after six to eight different proper tastes. And so, you know, um, that makes it for coming up with a a custom blend for somebody. It's a little bit tricky, but, um, you know, a roundabout way that kind of Nick is describing is that from talking to you, we have a good idea of kind of like, okay, where your palette lies. And so then from there, we have a, a couple of ranges that we go, okay, we've just narrowed it down a bunch. And then there's a couple of things that we can put in front of you. And then from there, we can narrow it down. And then we can start tweaking. But if you get into like, I'm going to tweak by the milliliter at the eighth hour trying to do it, there's diminishing returns in that. And you'll have my eyes do this. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to, there's got to be a place where you're like, okay, we're zooming in too far. You know what I mean? I I think the, the blessed blender, the best blender I have ever seen in my entire life. I'm talking hands down the greatest blender I've ever seen. Thank you. You're welcome. No, it's not you, Nick, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't even know the gentleman's oh, name. Oh, Yeah. I don't even know his name. I don't even know his name. It was probably late 2000s. I was at 7-Eleven, and there was this kid, probably about 14, and he was at the slushy machine, and there was all the different flavors. And this kid was, okay. like, tapping down, like, the the blue. He was just like, no, nah, I just got to get that that's enough and he was moving over to the and he created and he i I was watching him just like intrigued and he sipped it and he was like "Ah," and he went back and he hit it a little more and he sipped it and he was like that's how i like it and he walked off and paid for it maybe i don't even know he could have walked out with it i was so mesmerized by how zoomed in this (laughs) kid was and i thought man i hope i hope today he's out there blending something he's probably not but i just i don't know if he understands the talent he had and his is is um but that's how i imagine blenders that's what i yeah it's like well and to to add on to you know what's going on with the slurpees it's really important to go to a 7-eleven that's in a region that uses minute made and not fanta yes in the slurpee (laughs) true Terroir? Yeah. Is that where we're? <laughs> yeah. you know, you, it is. It's 7-11 You've got to know where your red 40 is coming from. But yeah. mainly, like, you, the, I'm sorry, Fanta, the sugar-free crap, it's, mm. it's not doing it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. 
Mm-mm. That's a man that knew his stuff right there. God bless. If you're listening, kid, I knew in the late 2000s. Um, I'd love to have you on the show um, and talk more about what you're up to. But uh, there, there, no, there are some there are some great blenders out there. I've talked to I've talked to a lot of people in this industry, and I've talked to people in there. And I know I'm not I'm not dis, discounting either side of the spectrum. But I've talked to people that are so down to the milliliter, so down to the spec, so down to the time and date and the when and the what. And then I've talked to people, mostly the Scots, if I'm being honest, that literally wing it. I mean, they're like, I don't know, I just. Sit, take a sip and I'm like it's ready I guess and then it's I like it and then everybody buys it so there's this like there's this other and maybe there's bullshit because they're Scottish but there seems to be this one side yeah. that they're just like very much old school literally putting their hand on a barrel you know maybe maybe they're a fairy talked to them before they woke up in the morning and then they were like I gotta get this barrel and it's ready and then there's a spectrum of people that are just so lab coated up and, you know, very, very, very specific about it. And, of course, there's variances there of, you know, a smaller distillery can play a little more. Your mass, your, your Johnny Walkers, they can't mess. I'm assuming there's laser beams and robots making that shit because it's got to be perfect every time. Um, so I understand there's a spectrum, but there's got to be somewhere in the middle where it's fun. I, I don't like, how do I say this without saying it the wrong way? I'm interested in whiskeys that may change over years. I, I like to, mm-hmm. to I like to say I like when I'm sitting with friends going, you know, ah, this Stag Junior is great, but do you remember the 18? How good that was, you know. I like that conversation. I think, it, but it's still a Stag, you know. It's still a this, but it does have that mm-hmm. nuance. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a variance. You get what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what we see in our whiskeys a lot of times. Our our 100% corn bourbon, you know, we know what notes, if let's say there's, you know, 15 possible notes that our corn bourbon frequently and regularly has, like we'd like every batch to at least have 10 of them, but it doesn't have to be the same 10, you know, like we're just pulling from this pool of like, you know, it's if it doesn't have vanilla, that's fine because it it this one has the butterscotch. Yeah, and um, you know, we we like that our batches are you know, same same but different. Yes, and and yes. they're and they're living, and it's you know we're making things such a small batch at a time. Like I still think that's cool. You know, we're hand signing the labels and we're hand batch numbering the labels. So we do have people out there that do just like you. They're like, oh man, you're 18 batch six of, of the bourbon. That one was good. And like, I went and hit the, you know, I was in an ABC store and they had three bottles of it, you know? So I grabbed, I grabbed them because I wanted it. And, um, and with our LTOs, with the Holland stuff, we see, you know, the, those have, those maybe have like your bigger peaks and valleys of difference just yeah. because, you know, some some of those barrels were all have all been filled at the same time, and the difference between batches that it's the same whiskey but a little older, a little incrementally older each batch. And we have people come in and you know want to um, you know want to collect them all, or you know what batch seven is not for me. It's good, but eh, you know batch yeah. six is my thing. Do you have any more of that back there? I know that you keep some, and we try and build a. Um, you know, a, ba- a back bar. Yeah, towards stuff. the lab coating side of things, we try and have like a really stringent back bar where we keep, re- you know, behind us is our reference library where it's a, a bottle of of like every batch as we're going and as we're growing. And this is, you know, missing probably 
two or three pallets worth of reference bottles coming over here of batches. Um, and we try and, you know, if we get a complaint and someone says, hey, I got this batch, I don't like it. Well, we can grab it off the shelf and we can we can call BS or we can go, OK, we see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, understand, you know, how you can have that complaint. But to the but to the other point and going to the scotch side of things where they're like, oh, it just feels right. And we do it. Dave's going to be shocked to hear this and he won't like it. But this is the last of this. Mm. And it's really rare that we get down to like the, you know, what do we do now? Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. finish it because it's just going to oxidize when it's this little. So, you know, but but you know what? The, one difference that I'll say from my experience with um, Scotch guys um, and I'm talking makers um, versus knowing U.S. makers. And I'm talking on a kind of like a large tilt, like Diageo distillery guys versus mm-hmm. Brown Foreman guys. Mm-hmm. Because some of the master distillers that I've met over time and, and worked with. Um, they all, don't get me wrong, they all do the same kind of thing, but there's some cultural nuances to how they communicate. So he may just be like, uh, oh yeah, you know, this one's probably ready, but there's a whole lot of factoring going on in the background of that guy's head where it's like, I've tasted 8,000 of these barrels. I know what the day it is. It's been sitting here and it's been doing this and it's about this old. It's probably going to taste around here. Yeah. But the Scottish just go like, ah, yeah, you know, it's fine. I eyeballed it. <laughs> Whereas like yeah. a guy from Brown Foreman might be like, well, let me show you how good I am. And I'm going to tell you all this stuff. Yeah. And so there's a bit of cultural, but I think that when you get down to people that are, are that are serious about what they're doing, right? And there are people who are, I mean, look, they're running a business. They want to just like say market or they're like really just, you know, want to be like nerdy and make, make something specific. But no matter what, if you care about what you're doing and you're paying attention to all the, as many of the little details as possible, and the longer that you do it, the more little details you come to recognize exist, or some that you thought mattered dramatically really don't, or maybe to some people, but not particularly what you're doing. And so you start getting that shift. Um, but really, in the end, probably you can gauge a maker just by their excitement and how much they love to talk about what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Agree. Um, and the Scottish guys, they may not be giving you information, but guess what? They're still talking to you. Oh, they and give a like, shit. Oh, yeah. And, and when we're done, we can go down to the pub and have a dram. <laughs> they give a shit. Most certainly. I, I have, I have, I guess my last question, I'm being told I got to wrap it up um, because I don't know. I'm really having a good time here. Um, we're, we're just getting started drinking. Yeah, what are you funny. talking about? Um, I'll make two episodes. No, four. Here's the puppy dog eyes. Yeah. Don't, don't leave. Can I bring this one don't home? Leave. <laughs> um, without with 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 being politically politically, I guess correct or without slamming because I'm not looking to slam. I'm a big fan. Talk to me and Nick. I'm interested. In, I'm interested in both of your opinions. You sit in a warehouse, you sit in a lab, you sit in the distillery, you're blending, you, you have the you have the luxury of you're making it right there. Uh, I believe you're using a pot still. I think you're su- still going that route, which is which is absolutely incredible. Um, we'll talk about that next time. Talk to me a little. And Mary just walked by if you want to say hi to Mary, too. Oh, Mary is a legend in her own right. I mean, so is Nick. Mary, but... can, you, can you at least show your face because... 
They would like to see the legends. She hasn't signed her release form. <laughs> How much am I getting paid for this? <laughs> Come on in. Come on in. My my hey. My sponsors are she, she's real. Yeah, there she is. With a is that a clipboard? No, it's a I, I was like she actually has a clipboard. That's incredible. It's a it's a, it's a <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, hey, you know what? She's <laughs> here. Funny. She's here. I'll take her answer, too, because I'm curious. Um, okay. And and we'll be as safe about this as possible. I'm, I'm not here to slam. I love. I love my sorcerers. The different dynamic, we talked a little bit about blending and creating versus somebody that sources from, like, an MGP. They're not into the distillery. Mm-hmm. They're not picking the barrels, really. They're kind of just giving their need, their recipe, their order. Give me kind of your opinion of the difference because it seems like I don't know how to ask this question without slamming them because I love P- I love there's some MGP I mean Penelope is incredible and they're definitely sourcing um, and they're not hiding it and they're proud of it and there's great distillers at MGP and there's great blenders at MGP for example but what is the how do you separate the mentality the difference between somebody that puts in an order and really tries to get what they're trying to achieve from that aspect versus somebody that's actually in the distillery you know ticking the boxes making the small measurements you know knowing the barrels personally intimately how do you talk through that conversation? What's your opinion of that, I guess, point of view? And if this is something that you're like, Bobby, let's stay the fuck away from, fine. But um, I'm curious. No, no, we have opinions. All right. No, let's hear it. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're an open forum, so let's do it. All right. I, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so, you know, when we started, sourcing was a absolutely bad thing. People were like, no, 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 you can't source. Ah, it's terrible. It's evil. You're misrepresenting. And that's generally because back then, a lot of people were pretending like they made stuff. And you know who you are Yeah. Um, when they were just buying from somebody else. And they're like, oh, this is so-and-so secret recipe from us. It's, like, it's fucking, you know, like classic GP, you know, 21 rye kind of stuff. Um, you know, so that that's the bad part. Nobody likes being lied to, and it's what created a lot of problems for people in the industry. It's my kink. I'm into it, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but but that like when you when you spend a bunch of time making something, and somebody comes to you and goes, "Oh fuck you, you didn't make this," because somebody else has been out sourcing and like trying to hide it. That's well, it's an annoyance more than anything else. Um, but. My position is so long as you're not lying to your consumer, right? Um, does it taste good? Would you like to have another? That's really what matters because, listen, I love a lot of MGP. And um, and if you're going to blend it and make something better, well, great. You know, the tricky part is, um, again, so long as you're honest, it's just a matter of for a consumer to be savvy enough where they're not going to pay twice the price for a bottle that you can get for half the price over here when it's the same juice inside. Mm, mm. Right. You know, and you know, you're like, okay. But, and that sometimes gets consumers a little rankled. Um, and it's a problem when it's hidden from them. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's, and that's an issue, but um, you know, we actually have a bottling here that, that Nick has done and I'll let him talk about it where um, we never sourced forever until we finally had a bottle we just couldn't make enough of and it was like our entry level bottling and so you know nick said about like okay how do we take some 
sourced material and reservoir it and make it our own by blending it with our stuff so that we could get more capacity. Because again, we're a small distillery and we do only pot distillation. There's only so much we can make. Right. Right. But we are still a business and we make no bones about it. We're like, hey, listen, new packaging, new look. This is what we're doing here. What do you think? There's no hiding it or anything. It's just like, ah, and and some of the materials that guys do and who we work with and collaborate with, um, you know, are fabulous whiskeys. And we're absolutely happy and honored to be in the same bottle with them. Right? So that's my take. It's, spoken, it's really, as long as it's good. Spoken like a true CEO of a company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let the real opinions come out. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like she's like, hey, you know what? Fuck them. I'm here making it for real. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love them all. <laughs> Um, I mean, there is a, a level of that when you put in the hard work and the effort in the day-to-day grind to make something and somebody else is kind of, you know, just over there buying it, you know, it, it does sort of cloud the waters, I think. But I, I'm of a sort of similar opinion today in the, from the standpoint that if, if you're open and honest with the consumer and they know what they're getting and they know what they're getting into, I don't have a huge issue with it. Um, because there are a lot of really great products out there that use source material that um, I think the sourcing and the blending and the picking of the barrels is an art form in itself and something that, you know, we don't do. I'm not great at, but there is something to be said for the people that can do it and can do it consistently and to a, a high level. Mm. Um, so I don't I don't have an issue with it, but I think I do come down to that honesty factor and making sure people know what they're getting and where it's coming from. Well, like so. if you were running a race, but you would not be okay with somebody taking a cat to finish and then winning. No, yeah. that would it's a little bit like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be the dissenting opinion here, uh, so I'll start by saying this: I think using the terminology "source material" pretty cool. And we're going to keep doing that because we think it's awesome. Uh, but to piggyback what Mary was saying, um, you know, now that we have a have a product in our lineup that is about 50% reservoir with 50% rotating cast of source material, you know, we have to get those samples in. We have to get barrel samples in from our brokers and our partners. We have to make sure that those barrels work well with the whiskey that Mary makes. We have to make sure it is scalable. We have to make sure that there, you know, we have to put a lot of thought behind selecting barrels to use. We don't, we don't want to, we don't want to be reinventing our mash bill every two or three months based on supply that we have access to. So we have to make really thoughtful decisions on what is good, what is good that goes together and what is good that goes together that, you know, we have a relationship with that we can maintain and get more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which gets into, what I have to always yell about is the fiscal aspect of it. It's like, okay, what if these barrels, particular barrels that work for Nick right now are available? And then how do you finance those things? Because if you can only get a certain amount of them and then the rest of them trade away, and then you got to remake the wheel again down the road, or how do you do that balancing act? It is, it's a, it's a really tough proposition to do it well and over and over and over again. So, that's 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 beautifully said though i think you know again and i just want to make this very clear to the listeners i'm not anti sourcing never have been never will be but there's honesty um and then because they're distillers at mgp for example that are killing it there's great distillers in mgp that are doing a great job um but you 
you have to trust consistency. You have to trust, you know, honesty, of course. And then I think you want to taste the brand. And I think your true whiskey buyers, you know, they know a reservoir when they taste it. Even when you guys change or do something special, you know, Holland's Ghost is incredible, but it's still reservoir. You still get that. You still understand. It's still there. There's still that that signature, that wink. And I think as long as you don't lose that and you're still continuing on, I think you're fine. I think that's the whole point. Um, guys, we got to – guys and ma'am. Well, we're thinking about changing yeah. the name to just Mary's. So, you know, because, you know, basically that's where it comes from. Mary's. Well, that was Mary's whiskey. And uh, for every bottle you buy, I'll give a shout out to Mary. I'll do that. Oh, God, that's going to be mil- – oh, my God, I need those numbers. Um, no, but seriously, you're you're – I'm a huge fan. I really, really am. I put my, I literally put my logo on the front of a bottle. I didn't do it. You guys somehow did it. Um, I'm one of those. Um, I, I, I hope you guys didn't get this and we're like, oh, fuck, here we go again. Um, why can't he just drink our stuff and not try to make his own thing? Um, I think my point was just to kind of say thank you and um, to kind of hopefully get the brand name from my listeners out there, although I know they're drinking it because I talk to them. They show me their bottles. They're making blends with it. I talk about you guys a lot. Um, My favorite whiskeys tend to come up in conversation very, very often, and you're one of them. You're true to your art form. You're you're doing a good job. You're killing it. You're local to me, which really helps because I can drive to you, although I haven't yet, but I will. Uh, so listeners look, uh, you know, keep an eye out for, um, that episode, me at the distillery where I hopefully cross my fingers, um, get banned for life. Um, which means I had a great time. Um, he's literally climbing the still, um, get him what an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that while it's hot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if, if Mary can tell me if he ever comes back, I'll quit. If he, she can say that, I know I've done my job. Um, but no, seriously. I think you would be in trouble long before that if you yeah, tried yeah. to climb on the skill back there. I think Mary would uh yeah. Mary would provide the result necessary. I'm like some guy you pick up at a bar that talks a lot of smack and then I don't even make it through the front door. So uh, you know what I mean? He's passed out on the sidewalk. What's his problem? Um no, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to visiting. I'm looking forward to learning more. And uh listeners, if you're not buying it, you need to get, it's on the shelves. I see it. You gotta buy it. You can pick it up. Um, if you're looking for the Cast Chasers release, it's out, it's gone, it's gone forever, but you can still pick up their... Look out uh, for batch two. We'll, we'll work on a batch two, yeah, but there's other batches, there's other stuff, and you can blend your own, you can buy the, you know, the 100%. Um, it's 100 proof. You know what, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a plug for something that's in your market, I just okay. as I was going through it. Some Nobody gives up, me plugs. Uh, and it's a special one that we did. Um this is a cognac finish yes. that we partnered with Francois Boyer in uh, France. And um, I found uh, there's a couple of cases of it at our distributor in Maryland. And you hear that? Um, so that is that is still available. And we thought I thought that was dead to the world because it was all gone. I think so for, for... I, I'm considering going up and getting it for myself because it's that good. But I would highly recommend to go to your local store and say, yeah. get some of the Reservoir Francois Boyer my experience. For my Maryland listeners, and fortunately, I'm global, so I have with... I got a lot of... It's on... Yeah, well... Yeah, yeah, well, I have a lot of Australian listeners, and they're like, we can't get... And I'm like, sorry. So sorry to my Australian listeners. We're number one in Chile. That's not true. That's not true. 
There is some reservoir in Australia. There you go. Where at? Where can they? Um, uh, if uh, whiskey list, the yeah, online list. Um, still still has it on their site. Oh, it is available on that. And then, but Australia, God, talk about a crazy country on distribution and how that place. They works. love their American it whiskey. Is a mind. Thank you, Australia. So oh, let, you know what they I, have there, and, and I don't know where it's from, but it's called Cougar Bourbon. Big ups to Down Under. Oh. <laughs> Hot old lady bourbon. They do have something called Cougar Bourbon that I really want to try. Oh it's got God. amazing packaging. It's like, um, what's that thing from South Africa that you found? Mum Four. Oh yeah. Do you know about this stuff? No. Oh, so my buddy, uh, my buddy used to do uh, percussion for a Blue Man Group on on cruises. Go to Who South are Africa you, dude? You get this- <laughs> <laughs> you get uh you yeah. get come visit yeah <laughs> like if you've ever if you've ever been like seen the bottom shelf of a liquor store like there's sometimes that secret bottom shelf which is like way in the back and mum four is like it's a grain liquor um uh, and it comes in a bottle that's wrapped in barbed wire and it has an afrikaans translation on it and i'm, I'm probably butchering butchering some of the order but it says like uh and this stuff tastes like drinking glass and ash yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. See, I'm getting excited. First, it make first it makes you smart, then it makes you handsome. Yeah. Then it makes you sexy. Mm-hmm. Then it makes you strong. Mm-hmm. Then you get punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> All true statements. <laughs> So to me, this sounds like your visit oh down here. Oh my god. Dude, the brand first off, marketing 101, killing it. Oh my god. That's fa- that's that's how I got married. That's literally pretty much my wedding vows right there. So uh, you know, that's uh that's my I, there's I want to do an entire episode on weird spirit. So I spent some time in Japan when I was in the military and there's a whiskey called there's a not a whiskey but a spirit called habusaki that they literally take a habu snake and it's wrapped it's like dead in this jug you can yeah, google yeah, it yeah. yeah and it it takes yeah, no, I've had it yeah it's like a 45 yeah. to the chest it's uh it's a mess um but you just skip right to punched in the face you don't get the middle you just go right to punched in the face so uh, you're not sexy you're not no, smart no 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 you take a shot and somebody just punches you in the face um but uh no that's great um so for the listeners that aren't local, uh, I know Drug City has it. Um, I'm pretty sure if you're in the, I'm pretty sure who else? Um, Beards Hill. You're talking about American. Yes, in, the in one Maryland, you were just. Yeah. I, I know Drug. Yeah, Beards Hill. There, there, there's a number of places our distributor is Opeachy, and okay. if your store does not have it, you just tell them, "Hey, Opeachy carries it," and we or you send us a message. And we'll there you go. They've got inventory in the warehouse, and they're they ship weekly. So, and yeah. if you're my out of the United States or anywhere else in the United States, listeners, um, you know, just reach out to me, reach out to them, see if you can get it, see where you can find it. If they can't help you, come to me. I'll see what I can do. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Styrofoam cleaning agent. Blah blah blah. I'll do what I can to get you uh, so you can taste it. Um, if you're in one of my not easy to get to, I know I have a few listeners in Russia. Sorry. I don't know. I don't even know what to do for you, um, but I do have I do have my resources. So please reach out, and uh, I'll do what I can for you because you got to get some of this stuff. Um, anywhere, anything, anything. <laughs> yeah, anywhere, anytime, professionally. Yeah, yeah, anywhere, anytime, professionally. You know those guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. We, we work with them sometimes too. 
Yeah. The FBI doesn't listen, I hope. I, I told them they couldn't, so I don't think they do. Yeah. As long I think if you tell them they can't, they have That's to That's legally. You yeah. Like, if you yes. say at the beginning and of... Plus we're, th- th- this isn't plans from Netherlands. For yeah. Sakes. Come on. We're not. Who are you? I, I wish the <laughs> FBI was listening more because, you know... That's more listeners. Um, I, I don't know if that counts as downloads if they do it from a van. Anyway, so, guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the Cast Chasers podcast. Uh, listeners, uh, if you don't love them, you will. I love them. Drink their whiskey. I'm, I'm, you know, if they're not a sponsor, they're not paying me. So if I'm saying it's good, even my sponsors, they're good. But uh, but if they're not a sponsor and I say they're good, they're good. I don't bring people on I don't like. So uh, their whiskey. What, what would happen? What would happen if we paid you? I did. Be, oh my god, the good fluff things? would become even more. I don't know because I already fluff you guys enough. You, you may be getting freebies well, here. Nick, Nick <laughs> is a bourbon fluffer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, just remember, chasers, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Slanja. Thank you. Slanja. Thank <laughs> you.